Let's go, moron. Yeah. Uh, I almost said thank you. <laughs> uh, welcome to our discussion segment on Gene Roddenberry. I'm Joe Parker. And I'm John Streeter. Let's get started. No, I'm not a nerd, Joe. A uh, kapla. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. You nerd. <laughs> you nerd. I was, you know, I, I was called that all through middle and high school, some of college. I embrace it. Whatever. I had a teacher, actually, my sixth grade teacher. I think did lasting psychological damage to me. Because in the middle of class, we'd be doing something like doing like a science lesson. She was a science teacher. And she would like teach the science lesson. And then she would be like, oh, and by the way, they don't teach any of this on Star Trek, Jonathan. Why would she call you out? I don't know. But me and two buddies, uh, Chris and Tommy, they we we were the Star Trek nerds and she would literally mock us openly in, you know, in front of the whole school or in wow. front of the whole class. Yeah, she was uh, I mean it's an American icon. Like Well, I- but but at the time in the 90s, it was you were you were mocked if you liked what Gene oh. Roddenberry created. Yeah. So, so yeah. I shouldn't mock you right now for wearing Spock ears while no, we're recording. No. Okay. He's not because I'm re- not wearing Spock ears. <laughs> People don't be, know. I that would say, be lying to our audience, I Joe. I could say anything I want right now. So we need to get a video camera in here, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That would be uh, in a season or two. Yeah. yeah. Hold on a second. Yeah, I got to fix mine. All right. All right, John. Uh, quick question, I guess, to start with. Why what? did I do this? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and also just quick note. I described, I said it. Why in the in the you, you did episode. a very good job of that. Um, real quick, when I heard my own voice in the quote, I was reminded how bad the early audio was, yeah. and how we need to go back and fix all of it. <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's, some of it's probably not fixable. Yeah, but, we'll just have to. But re-record. we just we use this as an opportunity to say thank you publicly to uh, our audio guy Kevin for thank the mics get- he's provided and the, all the work that he does to make us sound human instead of like we're recording from the bottom of a well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kevin, so much. Yeah. So what inspired you, I guess, to do uh, an episode on on Gene Roddenberry? Um, It's the end of a season. We've had a lot of, you know, difficult topics, a lot of complex topics. I thought it'd be kind of fun to do just kind of a fun topic. And since you're uh, next week going to be talking about one of your favorite authors, as I said in the podcast, I wanted to do uh, one of my favorite uh, writers, not of books, but of uh, television scripts. All right. And he's an interesting guy. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, which you all should do... Uh, yeah, there's a there's some interesting stuff that went on in his life as he was making this and other shows. That leads into my second question. Why did people put up with it? It seemed like he was a constant thorn in everyone's side on every project he worked on with Star Trek. Because, one, he was a very charming man from all, by all accounts, even the people who didn't like him, in a meeting, in a room. He could talk anyone into just about anything. So, in the room... When he has his lawyers there and they're signing documents, he, he gets most of what he wants. And then he goes off and, as I said, gets in his own way and sabotages himself and ticks people off. And you end up seeing him be fired or pushed aside or promoted to you know creative consultant or whatever it is to get him out of the way so that other people can fulfill the vision that he had. All right. So he was never upfront about that or did he just change his mind on or did he just change his mind? Or did he just change his mind a lot during the process? Upfront of about either, what? About the the changes he wanted. So you you were saying oh, he would I go, see what you're yeah, saying. he would go behind the scenes and and start to make these changes. Were these changes was he aware of them at the beginning, or did they form as well, things progressed? 
so you have to distinguish, I think, between two periods of his of his history with Star Trek. Early on, um, with the original series and the first couple of movies, yes, he was the one who was you know kind of making changes behind the scenes, uh, and also in the first couple seasons of uh, um, the Next Generation. But in the middle portion, he when he had kind of lost control. He was sabotaging things behind the scenes because other people were making changes and he couldn't stop it. They were making okay. changes that said, "Oh, th- you know, that's not Star Trek. That's not real Star Trek," or things like that. Okay, those were kind of his his twin motivations, depending on what period you're talking about in his career. What? How did that attitude influence the actual episode content? When we think about, so you were talking about the first Star Trek film that came out in the '70s after Star Wars, yeah. And I, I know that in our discussions, we you were telling me about how the sec or the sequel to that was going to be something drastically different than what actually came out in the uh, Wrath of Khan, right? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, w- what was I forget my the question now? Um, my brain just stopped. Drink more beer. Yeah. No kidding. Stupid beer. Um. How did that come out in the episodes? How did his changes? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so how, how did the changes and his overall attitude show in the actual content of an episode? Um, so he was or only, film. Sorry. Yeah. So he was only directly responsible for I think it was the first ten episodes of the original series where he is actually on stage or on the set producing the show. Um, the last two. The last two were the or the last one was the two part. Uh, Menagerie in season one of the original series. So everything up to that point, he was doing it. They were strong scripts. They were unique scripts. But the writing, not the writing, sorry, but the character development was not really there. It was much more about action, problem of the week, alien of the week, or something like that. Some of them were great. Conscience of the King, great episode. Um, I'm not going to get into the names of a bunch of whole episodes. Some of them were great. Some, not so much. Once he's kind of shifted aside and Gene L. Kuhn t- uh, takes over and runs it through the rest of uh, the first season and, and the second season, it shifts to more about characters. And we start to get the characters becoming more than just kind of generic, you know, action man, generic science man, generic engineer, generic doctor, things like that. Um, you see that especially, I think, in, uh, in the second season with the development of Spock. Because Spock was originally a very different character in the cage and in some of the early episodes than what he became to this very coldly logical guy. Um, the development of cultures, like the Klingon culture, the Vulcan culture, all these other alien cultures, none of that came from Roddenberry. And in fact, Roddenberry opposed some of that. <clears throat> but he was still reviewing scripts. He was still ensuring that there's good quality. Then you get to the third season of the original series, and he is completely gone. His his name is still on the credits because he created the show, but it's they're just like going from one showrunner to another, and there's no clear direction, and there's no clear, like, there's no overriding, like, okay, here's what Star Trek is. So they do Spock's brain, which is like a zombie thing that is just some of the worst things you see in television <laughs> of all time. Sounds that way. Yeah. yeah. I've not seen that one. <clears throat> But you have a couple good episodes in there, so it just swings wildly back and forth because there's not one person at the helm, so to speak, pardon the pun, um, guiding the series. So Roddenberry was necessary to a certain degree, but too much Roddenberry, and you get Monster of the Week, 
you don't get character development because he was not good at writing characters. He was great at writing action, not a great character writer. And then you see the same thing in the films. First film, the motion picture, 1979, I believe it was. Kind of boring. Beautiful film, kind of boring. Yeah. Wrath and of Khan. Wrath of Khan. His story. Completely B.A. Awesome. Yeah, Wrath of Khan was, was great, but it was not his story. His original story was very different. It was a time travel story. Uh, it would have had um, world leaders from like across the 20th century who weren't even alive at the same time all meeting and, uh, together on the Enterprise as Kirk taught them like some lessons, and it was, it was not, a good, not a good story. Plenty of action. Not a great story, though. Wrath of Khan with Harv Bennett and Nicholas Meyer in charge. Best Star Trek movie also great of action. them all. And great action. And then you go forward, and again, you still see Roddenberry kind of having some control with the trilogy, Star Trek 2, 3, and 4, which are the best ones. And then you get Star Trek 5, when Roddenberry's gone, and it's, Will, uh, it's Bill Shatner's vanity project, and he goes in, you know, in search of God. And it almost destroys the franchise mm-hmm. because Roddenberry was not there to say, okay, here, here's the box. Here's the parameters. You can't go that far. Okay. It doesn't happen quite as badly on the next generation because there are more competent people because Paramount was much more invested in making the show a success. They weren't like NBC who were like, Oh, we don't care what, what happens to star Trek. So after Roddenberry is out about, about most of the way through the first season and you get Maurice Hurley and Bill uh, and uh, you get Maurice Hurley and you get Rick Berman and then Michael Piller, the Roddenberry box becomes less important because you have competent men who are coming up with their own good stories, good sets, good visuals and good that, and that continues. So Roddenberry older kind of on his, on his last legs, he's still there, but he's not reviewing scripts anymore. But now Paramount has learned the lesson and said, we're going to make good shows. How would Roddenberry view? Sorry, let me preface this question with a. Uh, with this some, a what if, Joe? With some guardrails. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, I know that you are not a fan of Picard or any of the recent Star Trek <laughs> shows that have come out. True. Uh, I am not either, but I uh, think just going past that, how would Roddenberry view them in your opinion? Well, that's interesting. Because his son, Rod, is one of the executive producers on all of these new shows. So he would say, my father would love this. And I think Roddenberry would like elements of the new series. Because they are much more um, talky. There's much less like character drama. Sorry, there's much less serious character drama. There's much more contrived character drama yeah. where it's, it's all about these long speeches uh, and everyone has a personal trauma in their background that they have to overcome. Don't worry, they're not going to be spoilers for any of the three people who are watching Star Trek Picard. Uh, the season just ended yesterday. Um, but it, it's... I don't think he would like it. I don't think he would... Certainly he would not like the violence. I mean, season one of Picard had a scene that you would, you would see in Saw. In it, I don't know if you are familiar with the yeah, scene yeah. I'm talking about. Unfortunately. It, it is horrifying. Yeah, I watched it one morning in season one. Uh, this was right at the start of COVID, so I would get up and I would get an hour of Star Trek, and then I would do some exercise, and then I would have my first Zoom class. And that particular morning, I, I felt physically ill watching that scene. It was it was just awful, and um, he would not have approved of that. Mm. So I, I don't think he would like. But I mean, who am I to? Who might I say? I don't know. How did the cultural influences 
at the time when he first wrote and conceived Star, Star Trek feed into its creation? Like what, what about culture and society at the time influenced him to create Star Trek? Or was it that? Was no, it, it was just, very much that. It was his way to tell uh, stories about problems he saw in our society. So one of the advantages of science fiction, especially in the years before the internet, was it was a way to kind of talk past the censorship that existed on television, both network and cable, more so on network than on cable. So if you, you know, if you want to tell a story, this, let's say this is during the early, or no, this is during Vietnam. This is during the Vietnam War. If you want to tell an anti-war story and you do a biography of some kid in Students for Democratic Society in Berkeley who is protesting the war, network censors are going to say, no, you can't do that. That's too controversial. So what do you do? You create an episode of Star Trek in which there's a society that's been plagued by war for centuries and Captain Kirk beams down and talks to them about the futility of colonial-type war. Interesting. And the network censors are like, oh, it's science fiction, we don't care. And they let it, and they let it through. Most of the – not most. All of the best episodes of the original series are social commentaries on problems in the United States, whether it's race relations, gender politics – the war in Vietnam, whatever it is, there's social commentaries on either current problems or historic uh, problems that the United States had faced. Mm. And some of that continues uh, into the next generation, Deep Space Nine. I remember there's one episode of DS9. It was broadcast, I think, in 1996 or something, and there's a terrorist attack on Earth, and it it shakes, you know, the Earth is this paradise, there's no war, no poverty, no violence, nothing. And it shakes the Federation, the government on Earth, to such a degree that they turn into, almost overnight, into a police state. And that's five years before 9-11. And the, the whole thing is an allegory of the, the classic question of public safety versus civil liberties. And, you know, you, it, it was, I think, a very, very interesting social commentary. And that continues all through, you know, the end of Enterprise. New Star Trek, they try to have social commentary – but it's so on the nose that it ticks people off. It's not really social commentary. It's I'm right and my opponents are racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, fascists. Interesting. Which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's, there's something... Because, oh, go ahead. There's something about story that pulls down the defensive walls we all have and allows us to really hear opposing points of view that we wouldn't normally be open to even hearing. Yeah. And that's that's one of the powers of story is to be able to read something from the perspective of a character that's well-written within a scenario and maybe think about things differently than you normally would without getting defensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it also, good stories, like a lot of the best episodes of Star Trek, they make the point that on most issues, both sides have legitimate points of view. It's not my side is right and the other side is evil. And, you, and a good story will examine those honestly and say, okay, make your own decision. And that's one contrast. I don't want this to be a new Trek bashing session, but just one final comment about that. New Star Trek is, if you disagree with me again, you're, you're, you're a bad person. Whereas old Star Trek was, whether you're a liberal, a conservative, a progressive, or a, uh, uh, or a moderate, whatever you are, you do have some valid points, and we should talk about them, and right. we should discuss them, and we should learn from each other, and then we should find a way forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I appreciate that because that's, again, that's good storytelling. 
There is a scene in the uh, next generation where Data is in command of um, um, Data is in command of the uh, ship, and as a result, uh, Worf is his first officer, and Worf is publicly frustrated with the lack of decision making that Data is is either doing or not, mm-hmm. and so he voices his complaint out of, in in a way that's inappropriate. There's a scene where Data calls him into an office and basically corrects him yeah. in a really professional way. And he ends by saying, you know, I'm sorry if this has ruined our friendship. And Worf comes back and says, actually, it's me who's mm-hmm. who's put this in, in the jeopardy. If I hadn't done that, then this wouldn't have happened. I, I watched that when I was um, uh, a youngin'. <laughs> And I thought that was how adults talked to each other. Yeah. And b- because it was just like, Data was right, Worf was wrong, Worf acknowledged the wrong, Worf says, can you please give some, the, the, can you please um, um, give some grace here? Yeah. When it, yeah. So it, it was one of those things where it's, it was such a good scene that that was like, oh, okay, that that is the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's not comfortable to be dressed down, but it is something that has to happen to all of us at mm-hmm. times. So it seems scenes like that nowadays would be like, well, that was offensive. Well, and I keep going back to New Trek because it's I'm watching through it. You have scenes like that where you're right. It is it is offensive if somebody does that, and you actually have scenes where underlings will openly like correct or mock authority figures, and it's played for laughs. And like, oh, ha ha ha, you're so clever. And I just think, yeah, it, classic Star Trek or, or any military or any hierarchy of any kind would be like, all right, let's go into this office and let's talk about what you just said and how you just right. addressed your superior. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and New Trek doesn't do that. because new, And in that way, I mean, New Trek is reflective of the times in which we live. And old Star Trek, classic Star Trek, was the same thing. Yeah. Our society today is very reverent and very irreverent and very anti-authoritarian and... and you know, pop culture entertainment wants to show that. Yeah, absolutely. How did Roddenberry's vision of Star Trek change over time? Did it change? It really at all? didn't. Okay. No, I mean, his his core tenets, I think, of Star Trek were one, a bright future for humanity; two, no interpersonal conflict between the characters on the ship. And three, equal treatment of aliens. If you see an alien just because it looks ugly or scary, that doesn't mean that you zap it with your phaser. From the cage straight through to the last episode that he was directly involved with, which I think was home soil in season one of The Next Generation, those were his premises. Any deviation from that was because of the people who were also involved with the day-to-day running of the series or the movie. In, uh, in question. Okay. Uh, can you uh, pause it for? Why do you like Star Trek? I know we're talking about Roddenberry, yeah. but he, since obviously it's his his. Why don't we close with that one? Okay. What about the branch off shows? Did he have any say in any of that when we're thinking about Enterprise or no? A he DS9 had passed away. Or- so 
it's interesting, depending on who you ask, he either approved of the concept of Deep Space Nine, which is the last one that uh, was in development before he died in 1991. He either approved of it or he absolutely hated it. I tend to think he would have absolutely hated certainly the way that that show went because that was a darker and grittier, kind of more like New Trek, still maintaining you know elements of the Roddenberry box. Um, but it was a it, it was much less optimistic. It involved war. It involved rebellion. It involved religion. It involved conflict between central characters. And to me, I think that's the best of the yeah, uh, my favorite shows. show. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it was it was the least Roddenberry esque of them. And he didn't he didn't know anything about Voyager or uh, or Enterprise. My favorite one of DS Nine is in the Pale Moonlight. Oh yeah. That is by far my favorite. It's so well written. Yeah. It's such a tight script and story overall. Mm-hmm. It's very, very complex and good. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So something like that, as an example, is not something that Roddenberry would ever write oh, or Oh, no. Or and I think that was – I remember watching an interview on the DVD specials, and I think the, the writer of that show, I think it was Ron Moore, he said he had a bust – of Roddenberry on his desk, and he actually like turned it away and covered it when he was writing that episode because he felt so bad that he was breaking with the Roddenberry canon. But he, in his mind, it had to be done because not to get into too many spoilers again for those who might be interested. Well, the show's in been out it. for like well, twenty five I mean, years. Hopefully, maybe one or two people might hear this and be like, "Okay, this sounds like an interesting show." Um, but the Federation's losing a war, and it has to do something in order to kind of break the mold and turn the tide. And so the captain does something that is deeply, deeply immoral. He gets people killed, he lies, he breaks the law, and it works. But that's, in Roddenberry's mind, no Starfleet officer would ever do something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Voyager kind of got back to the Roddenberry box, I think. And Enterprise, I don't know what he would have thought about Enterprise, because that, that was kind of a schizophrenic show. Some episodes and some seasons were really good, and then some were just... In the mirror, Dreadful. darkly. Those yeah. were good, yeah. 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 Then there was the last episode of the season, or the series, which was... <laughs> anyway, legendary among Star Trek fans. We don't need to get too deep into uh, Trekdom here on this Well, po- on this if there's a time, podcast. it's now, right? No, I, I don't. <laughs> it is a history podcast, I'm, and biographies. I want to focus more on Roddenberry than on oh. the show. So, not technically a what-if question, oh, no. but the... So a sock instead of a shoe, yeah, absolutely, perhaps. yeah, a light sock, you know, a <laughs> summer sock. The you briefly touched on in the storyline, Roddenberry saying in order to get to the society that is portrayed in Star Trek, there had to be this global war. Well, he didn't actually write that. I don't, oh, he didn't. I don't think. I think that came because World War Three is mentioned. Actually, no, that's not true. Sorry, it is mentioned in the original series. Yes, continue. I'm sorry. Did did he envision that something that catastrophic had to happen in order for there to be this uh, quasi utopia uh, when it comes to Star Trek? It's not a utopia yeah, technically yeah. because there's still conflict, but no, no, no money, no, you know, everybody has everything sustained. That's a good question. I. I haven't read the original like Star Trek, Star Trek documents, like the series Bible that talks about small B Bible that talks about like here are the parameters for the show. So I don't know if it was his direct line from here's where we are in the 1960s, here's where we are, or here's where we're going with a world war, nuclear weapons, and all that, and that will lead us out of it, or if that was kind of filled in by later writers, especially writers of. Star Trek First Contact, which we've talked about before on this podcast uh, and which inspired this episode, um, where you actually go back to post 
apocalyptic, right. post-World War III Earth, and you see First Contact. And basically, I, I think for Roddenberry, what's going to get us to that point of no war, no poverty, no greed, things like that, is us realizing we're not alone in the universe. Gotcha. Now, whether World War III was a part of that, in his mind, I don't know. But when, when we made First Contact with, uh, with other life in the Star Trek universe, that's when we kind of stepped out of our adolescence and realized, yeah, we're, we're one part of a very large community that we didn't realize existed. So it's no longer specific in, in his mind or in the, in the storyline anyway, sorry. It's no longer specific to Earth, like our challenges and the things that we're trying to overcome now. We're, we're one planet among other planets rather than factions or yeah. uh, countries. Okay. Yeah, we, I think in his mind, we realize how petty our differences seem to be okay. when compared to these larger this larger community and potential larger threats. And this is common in science fiction. This is not sure, something that sure. we see in a, you know, just yeah. in Star Trek. I mean, one of my favorite science fiction movies, Independence Day, the original one, not the new one, uh, has Arab and Israeli soldiers fighting together at a time in 1996 when the movie came out when one of the intifadas was going on. There was no way that you were ever going to see those two sides fighting together, but it was a metaphor. Hey, we've got a larger threat, something to deal with. Maybe we should put our differences aside. Yeah. You briefly mentioned that Shatner did not like. Uh, <laughs> we could do a whole Nemo. podcast, yeah, and so probably just, should at some point. Just, just real quick, when did that change? Why did it change? I understand what, why he didn't like him at first, or why he felt threatened. But I don't know if it didn't like him, but didn't like how he was acting. Right. So, so what changed about that relationship? I don't know. I don't know that it actually did. Um, this is speculation, but Bill Shatner was not at. Leonard Nimoy's funeral in 2015 when, when Nimoy died. He said, oh, it was a commitment he couldn't get out of. I don't know. I mean, they, they always said in interviews, oh, we're the best of friends and things like that. I kind of wonder about that. Again, I have no evidence whatsoever beyond like, it, the it vitriol. Like it would be at his funeral. No, yeah. But the vitriol that he had towards and the animosity that he had towards um, Nimoy in the early seasons led him to say some pretty horrible stuff. And then his behavior when Nimoy was directing Star Trek three and four, <sighs> part of me says, you know, Shatner is a, a, a classic Hollywood actor of the 1950s where he's a leading man. He is going to look out for himself and no one's going to get in the way of that. And if he has to run over you, he'll turn around and help you up, but he's always going to be in front of you. And I think that was probably the the uh, attitude, and it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I mean, uh, George Takai, not a fan of Shatner. Uh, Jimmy Doohan, when he was alive, the guy who played Scotty, not a fan of Shatner. Like to their almost to his dying day. I think they may have reconciled a few weeks before he passed away. Of it was Parkinson's, but yeah, Shatner didn't make a whole lot of friends. He was friends with DeForest Kelly, the guy who played McCoy, and friends with Nimoy to some degree, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. Was he mad at Nimoy because of the ballad of Bilbo Baggins, or is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think to, that was a little later. I don't to, know. To our audience, if you have not looked at oh. or searched for the ballad of Bilbo Baggins, where Leonard Nimoy is singing about Bilbo Baggins from Lord of the Rings with his Spock ears on, <laughs> you have not lived a full life. It is Bilbo. Per- Bilbo yeah, don't put that yeah. song in everybody's head. It's awful. <laughs> I had to ask about that. I read an article uh, about Patrick Stewart saying early on that he thought Gene Roddenberry never accepted 
never accepted him as the new captain of um, uh, um, I can't say it uh, Bay Enterprise. Is that really? Is, yeah, it was just one article. Hmm. So is that he? He felt like that at the time. I, he may have, okay. and, and I know that early on there was some tension between the two of them. But I don't. I've not read that. I've, okay. I've, okay. Now, Grant, I've, I haven't gotten to that point. I'm I'm going through a uh, uh, an audiobook. Some some here's how much of a nerd I am. Some uh, Trek historians or Trek writers have put together like a 50 year history of the series. You nerd. I know. I know. <laughs> haven't gotten to that point yet. So it's called the 50 year mission. If you're interested. <clears throat> nice. But uh, uh, I, I mean, generally, Roddenberry was supportive of Patrick Stewart. Over the studio. The right, studio right. didn't want him. The studio wanted, I think it was a guy by the name of was it Mitch Ryan. Aren't we uh, glad they got Patrick Stewart? I mean, I, I am. I was until I saw Picard. I'm talking about old school. I mean, he's like, he's such a great character, such a great captain. He is. Very well written. Is I mean. He is. He having, is. Having watched <laughs> two seasons of Picard, it's starting to affect my ability to go back and enjoy The Next Generation. Yeah. Which is really sad. Well, that's one of the because it's like why, I yeah. I know where this where this show is going to go, and yeah. I know the yeah I don't know. All right, well, all right, I'm done complaining about new track. I promise. <laughs> you talked about in the podcast how um, there was a lot of tension on the set with a new show back in the '90s because of that insane lawyer. Yeah, uh, that is that why um, Gates uh, McFadden left the no. first season. No, she left. I think it was because Rick she Berman. came back the third. She season. did. Okay. I think it was Rick Berman who didn't like her. It was either Berman or one of the one of the producers didn't like her. Didn't think that she was uh, right for the show, and so they got rid of her and brought in another actress for season two. And then it turns out that new actress couldn't say any of the techno babble lines, and so they brought Gates McFadden Gates McFadden back for season three. Good. Yeah, yeah. I think that was she was way better than the uh, the other doctor Pulaski. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Audience questions. All right. Quick note on audience questions. Uh, we got a couple um, that that were uh, about Adam Smith, about our last episode. Uh, bef- um, we got a couple uh, submissions on Facebook about Adam Smith, our last topic. Uh, we're not going to answer those today, but those are going to be in our series, in our season wrap-up uh, here in a couple of weeks. So we did get those questions. Please, if you have questions about older episodes, send those to us, and we will answer them in our, in our season wrap-up here, as I said, in a few weeks. But questions for today. About Star Trek. Yes. As Joe pulls them up. Would love to hear your thoughts on your favorites, both you and Joe. Uh, what shows your favorite? Uh, DS9... Uh, Next Generation, original, and so on. Uh, For me, as I said, it's Deep Space Nine. I like, my favorite episode of Star Trek is from The Next Generation, but my favorite series is from, or my favorite series is Deep Space Nine. Awesome. Uh, And you? Same here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's some in, um... no, it's not someone. (laughs) It's what? No, I I, I don't have any other comments on that. Would love to hear which movie was your favorite and your thoughts about the most recent movies and releases. So I'll go first this time. Okay, yes. Uh, the ra- it's a tie between The Wrath of Khan, to talking about old, old ship, and uh, the undiscovered uh, uh, country. Sorry, I'll say that again. The un... 
Undiscovered Country. Okay. Or is that Star Trek Five? That's six. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the one with General Chang. Yeah. The Shakespeare quoting Klingon. Yes. Um, for me, yeah, Wrath of Khan or First Contact. Those would be the best. And of the newest uh, three movies, I liked the first one, 2009 Star Trek. I thought it was a nice, fresh take on kind of going back to the original. Uh, Into Darkness, we do not speak of because it was so bad. Uh, and Beyond was fun. It was just too late. It didn't have... It couldn't save the franchise. It seems like they like destroying the ship. Well, yeah. It was like every show they would... Or, sorry, Not the first one. Every movie, almost. It seemed yeah. like they were always destroying the ship, and it got to the point where it's kind of like, all right. Because in the Wrath of Khan, when they destroy the ship, it's a big deal. It's 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 they so... They destroy the ship in the Wrath of Khan. Sorry, gosh, you're right. It's the third one. Uh, in the third Star Trek film, the... Search for Spock, yes. they destroy the ship. And it's, Come on, Joe. It's this whole scene where- Which was leaked in the uh, by Gene Roddenberry, actually. It was. Yes, and then the, uh, the, the trailer company put it into the trailer. That was supposed to be the big secret, the big surprise of uh, Star Trek III. Roddenberry leaked it because he was so mad that uh, Nimoy was directing. Why did he not like Nimoy? He didn't like the direction that they were taking. He didn't want Spock to be- Regenerated. So he leaked that detail. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. Yeah. So, uh, last question Is there anything you absolutely hate about Star Trek? So, we can't talk about Picard anymore. Can't talk about any of the new stuff. So, what? Any of the new stuff? Can't talk about Lower Decks? Star Trek meets Futurama? <laughs> no, we won't talk about no. New Trek. Uh, yeah. Is, is there anything in historical Trek yeah. that you absolutely hate? Yes. I hate the character. And the actor, Wesley Crusher and Will Wheaton, despise, loathe entirely. Well, you don't know him personally. How could you hate him if you don't know him personally? Okay, I hate his Twitter persona, and I hate okay, the persona that he, that he shows in interviews and, uh, uh, and on the new Short Treks uh, specials that he's, uh, that he's running. Why? He knows because he knows everything. And again, if you disagree with him, you are clearly a Nazi. Interesting. Yeah. All right. The character is badly written, and the actor is annoying. I also, um, when it comes to old Trek, when it comes to like the classic series, like some of the stuff is very, very cringy. Some of the episodes, like Spock's brain, um, and then Turnabout Intruder, the last, the last episode of the series is so, so bad. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a like flag waving, bra burning feminist. But I believe in equal rights, and that show is like, women Women aren't allowed to command starships. And I'm sitting here going, okay. It's just, it's, just, it's very dated. It's very 1960s. Ugh, yeah. and it, it, I haven't yeah. seen that one. You I'm watch it, and it's, it's, I mean, it's James Kirk in drag, because the mind of this deranged woman who just wants to command a, star, a starship is put into Jim Kirk's body, and Jim Kirk's mind is put into the body of a woman. And so you have... Bill Shatner playing a deranged woman, and it is so incredibly sexist. And then you have this woman playing James D. Kirk, and she laments the fact that she can't do anything because she's in the body of a woman. Oh, that's awful. It's, I'm glad I haven't seen it's, that one. It's so bad. And it's the last episode of the, of the original series, and it's like, yeah. yep, that's why it was canceled. Man. John, you embody the, the toxic fan culture okay, that is whatever. the reason why Star Wars failed and the new Picard series is not doing well. I mean, whatever. Yeah, it's just really... 
It's so. really troubling to me <laughs> that you're embodying that. It's all the fans' fault. Oh, yeah. Totally yeah, yeah, yeah. the fans. It yeah, doesn't yeah, have anything yeah. to do with the writing or the direction no. of the stories or the characters. It's all... I thought we were done talking about New Trek, Joe. <laughs> Sorry. No. I just... The, st- the stuff that I that I dislike is is mostly incidental. It's... As opposed to in, in, in New Trek, the through line of old Star Trek is an optimistic vision of the future. Yes, there are some problems. Yes, there are some still some dangers. But at least it presents the possibility of a world and a humanity without all of the problems that we face. And I appreciate that. The stuff I dislike is kind of incidental to that. Episodes that were badly written, some special effects that are like jarringly bad and things like that. But nothing too, too horrible. All right. Except for Star Trek V, (laughs) The Final Frontier, directed by William Shatner, which is just awful. Well, he found God, or he didn't. Uh, No, he didn't find God. I know, just kidding. All right, so... Oh, never mind. So my... Well, no, what? Yeah, go ahead. So my... The thing I hate... So as far as finding God, the original concept... Do you know... Have you done any reading on the original concept for the very first Star Trek motion picture? Uh, no, because I'm not a nerd. Because you're not a nerd. I didn't think so. <laughs> Quick story. This is, this is Gene Roddenberry, and this says something about the man. This is how much he, of a humanist he was. His original concept for the motion picture is similar to what Star Trek V became, where you go out and find God. Except God comes to Earth, God, quote unquote. Uh, it's this alien probe, and it manifests differently to different civilizations based on how like technologically developed it was. And it turns out that it came to Earth 2,500 years ago in the timeline of Star Trek and appeared as Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. And now it's returned still as Jesus Christ, but the Jesus Christ of 2,500 years ago. And in the, the climax of the movie was not this, you know, visual, visually stunning tra- journey through a cloud that you saw in the film. It was Captain Kirk in a bare-chested fistfight with Jesus. <laughs> you want to talk about killing the franchise? That was that's how much Gene Roddenberry hated religion. He wanted Captain Kirk to punch out Jesus Jeez. as the climax of the first Star Trek movie. Wow! wow. I would have hated that. About yeah, Jesus Christ being the most important picture. Uh, be, Jesus Christ being the most important person in human history. Not someone that you would necessarily want to be in a Make fist no mistake, fight. God cannot be mocked. Yeah. A man reaps what he sows. Yeah. That's crazy. I did not know that. No. <laughs> because you're not a nerd. Yes. That's, that's I, hilarious. I, I am kind of a nerd. Um, I, yeah. Hey, Joe, uh, what's, what's your favorite YouTube channel? Uh, the Nerd Lord of the Rings. Nerd of the Rings? Nerd of the Rings, All right. yes. Uh, I'm actually rehearing the Lord of the Rings, the new versions that just came so out. So should we expect a podcast this fall when Rings of Power comes out about Tolkien and you can do what I have done? Well, I'm, I'm going to give it a chance. I, I No, I understand yeah, that. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah, but, but we'll I'm going to be honest ep- about it. We'll do an episode and uh, and we'll talk a little bit about, we'll bring yeah. some pop culture into this. We'll, yeah, we'll talk absolutely. a little bit about All right, all right. Rings so my, my, the thing that I, I hate... I think I think the uh, person sending these questions was asking me there, Joe, not you. Uh, is there anything you absolutely hate? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm kidding. Go minor, ahead. Minor munch, uh, uh, much smaller than yours. So I hate the fact that the Ferengi in DS9 are still using money, and so Cork will charge money to Starfleet officers for drinks and food. And they're not supposed to have money because there's no there's no money exchanged on Earth. So how does that work? Do do they accumulate latinum 
and give that to him as a result of what he charges? I actually have an answer for this. All right. But I'm not going to tell you because you'll just call me a nerd. <laughs> I'm actually genuinely cur- curious because I've always wondered how do the Star Trek officers pay this Ferengi for all this food and entertainment? You will have to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually. This is, not a car- this is not a Star Trek Q&A podcast. Any bigger like issues that you have with the. <laughs> I think that the uh, in the um, early episodes of the. A next generation were very preachy. I think it was very. Oh yeah, it was very much about what they were trying to say and not the story they were they were trying to tell, which was Roddenberry's influence. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you said, over time it changed to what was what were the interactions between the people and the crew? Uh, how did those interactions play out with with the challenges faced? And we saw characters being created that were that, that are now timeless. Mm-hmm. And um, there are speeches. In fact, there's a collection of Picard speeches on YouTube that I will hear occasionally throughout the year just because they're so really, really, they're just so inspirational. They're very, very good. Nerd. Yeah. I, you know what? Yeah. Own it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I, I hated those where they're mocking um, Q wearing a, a, a uniform. They're calling it like a costume. It's mm-hmm. the Marine Corps uniform. Yeah. I'm kind of like, you're the ones wearing the costume here <laughs> and on a fake starship. Anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I just, like you, dislike it when I'm being preached to. I would much rather be involved in the story. And then, again, be challenged by those ideas. Maybe, maybe things that I haven't heard or things I haven't considered or maybe things that I think I've considered enough but should go back to. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the story has its power. And so I, I dislike the preachiness, which most people do. Um, I love the story. Yeah. Well said. I agree. So, John, one final question. What What about Star Trek is attractive to you? Why do you love it so much? Oh, the historian in me wants to take you through my evolution of uh, (laughs) the evolution of my love for Star Trek. Because at first it was something that my dad and I and then my mom and I could watch together. And I still have memories um, of sitting down and watching early episodes of The Next Generation when they were first being aired um, with both of my parents. And in that sense, it's a family. I mean, it's a family legacy. I don't know about for you, but I mean, my mom watched it with her brothers. Shout out to my mom and to uh, my uncle Matt, who's a fan of this episode, and my uncle Matt, who's a fan of this podcast, and uh, uh, my uncle Kate as well, who might be listening. But I like the family connection to the show. And beyond that, I like the. I've always liked science fiction. I've always kind of liked you know thinking about. You know, new technology, new inventions. I like how Star Trek has influenced not just my life, but like major figures in science and technology and NASA and things like that. It's influenced the development of technology and things like that. <clears throat> and I like how it can show flawed people, because we are still flawed. There are no perfect characters on Star Trek. And if they are, they're like, you know, the, the god villains that Roddenberry tried to write how flawed men and women can overcome their flaws, overcome obstacles most of the time. 
without resorting to violence. Being a military historian by training, uh, I'm steeped in the history of violence of our own world. I know that violence is obviously sometimes necessary, but I learned basic conflict resolution, not from, you know, the pulpit, not from my teachers, certainly not from that sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Cook, who mocked me for liking Star Trek, but from Jean-Luc Picard. And those lessons are still with me. Obviously, more mature and things like that. I know that I can't just, you know, in the middle of a fight, like, stop, we are going to listen to a Picard speech or something like that. But I mean, I'm, I'm in a position in my, in my career where I've, there's a fair amount of conflict at times at school and things like that, and you have to talk sure. through these things. And not physical conflict, but like ideological, like, I have this idea, you have this idea. And I think that Star Trek's message of old Star Trek, not new Star Trek, of peaceful conflict resolution is something that our world desperately needs right now. Whether we're talking about like actual, you know, nation versus nation violence, or we're talking about, you know, partisan group versus partisan group, or in our individual lives, Star Trek is a show, and I know it's just a TV show, it's not going to, you know, if people sit down and watch the original 79 episodes, or they watch Next Generation or something, then, oh, we can end our problems. But it shows us that it is at least possible to approach solutions to our problems, not necessarily with a sword or with a gun or with a brick, but with words in a peaceful way. And Rodden, that was Roddenberry's. That was Gene Roddenberry's vision. Thank you for, thank you for joining us in our discussion of Gene Roddenberry. I'm Joe Parker, and I'm John Streeter. Please give us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It really does help. And if you would like to make this podcast even better, please go to our website at 15minutehistorypodcast.org and hit the support button. Thank you, and see you all next week.